Despite it all, I still accomplished what I set out to accomplish. That's the part that I'm proud of. Any other dude, they would have been strawback. They would have broke. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Bourbon Time and Jim Beam. You know, with the loss of our commutes during the pandemic, we've all lost that natural break from the workday to the evening. I've definitely felt that it's been tougher this year than ever to remember to take some time to transition myself from work to relaxation. So my friends at Jim Beam want to help solve this so we can get our me time back. Beat the burnout and commit to taking the hour of 6 to 7 p.m. as your me time, where you turn the phone on Do Not Disturb and do something that you love with no strings attached. Even though we like to enjoy our me time with a glass of Maker's Mark, you don't have to enjoy bourbon in order to participate in the movement. Do whatever is restorative for you, whether it's yoga or Maker's Mark, or golf or Maker's Mark, or just relaxing or Maker's Mark. Do whatever it is that makes you the better version of yourself. So let's make the idea of bourbon time a reality. Join me in reclaiming 6 to 7 p.m. as the happiest hour so you can do whatever it is that makes you happy. And if it involves a glass of bourbon, remember to drink Maker's Mark responsibly. Maker's Mark Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 45% alcohol by volume, copyright 2021, Maker's Mark Distillery Incorporated, Loretto, Kentucky. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into a special Bourbon Time edition of Half Forgotten History as we close out Season 4 today. You know, it's easy to play a long time in the NFL when things are going your way, when you're constantly on winning teams, when you're getting to the postseason, and you have a shot at getting to that Super Bowl and maybe a championship. But what if you play forever in the NFL and you never even get a taste of that? Well, that's a consummate pro, and that's today's guest. It's Takeo Spikes. He has something on his resume in the NFL that he wishes he didn't have, but he also has something on his resume in the NFL that very, very few people can claim, and it's something he should be extremely proud of. So please enjoy this Bourbon Time episode with my good friend, longtime linebacker, Takeo Spikes. Happy to be joined on this episode of Half Forgotten History, which is part of our Bourbon Time with Jim Beam, with my good friend, Takeo Spikes. Takeo, I thought I knew almost everything about you, but I learned something new today. I did not know that you were named after the 66th Prime Minister of Japan, Takeo Miki. How did that happen? You know that's a, that's a good story, Trey. You've all you always do your homework, but <laughs> that happened. Um, all right, so check this out. Good story. I haven't told this story not to too many people. Yeah. So let's go. when I was born, my mother wanted to name me after my father, but my father was like, his name was Jimmy Lee Spikes, and my father said he didn't want to name me after him, and my mom was like, why? And he pa- she said he paused and he was like, I kind of feel like this name is too old time for it. So she said, as I was as I was laying in her arms in the hospital, went about two days and she was looking at TV. And the prime minister of Japan came on TV and he was talking. And I was like, well, how, like, how in the hell did you like tie all of this together? She was like, I felt like he was somebody and he looked like he had a presence. So I did research and found out that his name meant in English, great warrior, hero. And so she said after she saw the interview, she was like, all right, he'll be my little Takeo. And so that's how I got the name Takeo. Good story coming off of that. So back in 2000, 2008, 9, I went to Japan. 
Oh. And uh, when I went to Japan, I was getting ready. I, I checked into this hotel. And so the lady asked for the ID. And so I gave it to her. And I wasn't thinking, you know, like my name, Japanese name. And that's a prominent name over there. So yeah. she looked and she was like, Takio? I was like, hey, what can I say? <laughs> so, no, man, it's, I, I get a lot of mileage off of it. It's cool to see people, they'll send me, hey, I named my kid after you. Or I get yeah. some people, I got followers in Japan, and they send me messages all the time. You know, so it, it's pretty cool, though. Listen, your mom nailed it. I mean, great warrior. I mean, is there a better translation for a guy that's going to be a football player? I don't think so. No, nah, she nailed it. Like she told me, you'll forever be in debt for me giving you that name. So I guess she's right. A hundred percent. And you're huge in Japan. And why wouldn't you be? So um, when did you start playing football? Because obviously you were born in Augusta, Georgia. We all know Augusta, Georgia is the home of the Masters. Um but when did you realize, hey, this football thing was good for me? Because I have a standing line whenever I see you. I always say you're the only person I know whose muscles have muscles. So, like, I'm assuming you always had to be sort of chiseled as a kid even. No, I wasn't. Actually, really? I worked very hard to get to where I'm at. I mean, everybody has, but, like, people think I came out the womb, like, rocked up, like I was ready to play. I was ahead of everybody. I, I just really worked. And I remember looking at the game, but when did I know um, or how did I get to the point of where I'm at? I just worked for it, right? Like yeah. if the coach told me I had to do 10 sets of 10, in my mind, I was like, all right, if everybody else is doing 10 sets of 10, well, why not I do 12 sets of 12? You know, and so yeah. it was just adding a little bit more than the next man. And that's how I kind of made my living, even to this day. But where do you think that came from that gave you that little extra sort of or that idea? Well, here's what they're saying, but here's what I want to do, because not everybody has that. Well, you, you get I had good coaches who came in and, and they reiterated if you do the little things and if you do a little bit extra. For me, I had the prime opportunity to see it in my household. Um, yeah. I was fortunate enough to to be raised by my mother and my father and to be able to see him grinding every day, times where he really didn't want to go to work or if we were asked for something ridiculous and he would remind you, like, you do know that costs money, right? Like, now what you can do, you can do other things to be able to get this and maybe one day you'll put yourself in position. So I learned the work ethic, you know, understanding how to be strategic and more than anything, really intentional about my movements and my decisions just from watching my mom and my dad. Well, listen, it certainly paid off because by the time you were a senior in high school, you were honored the award of Mr. Football in the state of Georgia, as well yep. as the Georgia Player of the Year as a senior. So I, I guess my question for that was, because that's not an easy thing to do in that state. How did you get out of the state and get to Auburn? Why didn't the Bulldogs lock you down? Hey, it was turmoil in Georgia throughout that time period. And it was so bad. Ray Goff was there. Yeah. Jim Dunning came after him. And then, you know, I think Mark Rick. But I just felt like they really did not put a premium on keeping guys in state. Honestly, I committed Big to mistake. Florida State. Like, oh, it, yeah? was, it was a huge mistake. And I remember a lot of people, they were mad. Uh, I only grew up, I was maybe an hour, 15 minutes away from Athens. And so... 
like people they were hot and i get it but shit don't blame me blame them yeah. they didn't do the right thing kirby now is doing it keeping guys in state but they really didn't put a premium they used to bring guys in from out of state and give them more attention than they gave the guys in state and for me i was like this is how i thought as a high school student it was more so student athlete it was well if you doing that to them and i'm here right down the road that means you probably is going to get worse later yeah so I was like, nah, I'm good, man. Let me go somewhere where I'm celebrated versus where I'm tolerated. Well, listen, it worked out. You go to Auburn. And, and when did you get the feeling that, okay, listen, obviously I was a good high school player. I got recruited in the SEC. I'm playing in the SEC at Auburn. When did you – was there a moment in college where you said, I think I can do this for a living? I've always had the strong desire to go to that next step, be on that next level. The moment changed for me – my junior year, and I had no intentions on coming out as a junior. Yeah, We played Georgia, and my high school teammate, Robert Edwards, he, the running back. Right. And uh, we played a night game. They just had beat Florida in Jacksonville. And they came back. I want to say they were rated, like, number three. I had a great game, double-digit tackles, tackles for law, everything, like crazy. So I was like, okay, I'm really thinking about it now. And as we continued to go throughout the year, we played Alabama, beat them, went to the SEC championship game to play Peyton Manning. Yep. And while we were playing him, I probably the best game I've ever had. You were named MVP tackles. of the SEC championship game. I was named MVP of the SEC championship game, and we lost. Like, how ridiculous is yeah. that? And so – after that, I was like, you know what? Damian Craig is not going to be here. Shout out to Damian Craig. I, I love that guy. One of the best captains and leaders I've ever been around. But I was like, I'm, I'm taking my talents to the draft, man. I'm, I'm out of here. So but before we get to that part of it, real quickly, was there a time when you played Peyton uh, in college? Did you think he's going to be what he was at the NFL? Because in college, his thing was, all right, yeah, he's great, but he can't beat Florida. Uh, I knew he would go on to be successful. Because some of the stuff that we did to him, like nobody had, nobody never did it before. But my point is his ability to adjust in game and challenge his own teammates. You got to do it this way. I heard him. I've been playing him since college. Like it was, it was next level. So I knew he was going to have success, but like I never knew it was going to be as big as what it is now, you know, but I knew he was like, Peyton was always, he was that guy. Yeah. All right, why don't we take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk about your transition to the NFL and the things that sort of were different about playing for a living than it was when you were in high school and in college. We're back on this Bourbon Time episode with Takeo Spikes and Half Forgotten History right after this. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Bourbon Time and Jim Beam. You know, with the loss of our commutes during the pandemic, we've all lost that natural break from the workday to the evening. I've definitely felt that it's been tougher this year than ever to remember to take some time to transition myself from work to relaxation. So my friends at Gem Beam want to help solve this so we can get our me time back. Beat the burnout and commit to taking the hour of 6 to 7 p.m. as your me time, where you turn the phone on Do Not Disturb and do something that you love with no strings attached. Even though we like to enjoy our me time with a glass of Maker's Mark, 
You don't have to enjoy bourbon in order to participate in the movement. Do whatever is restorative for you, whether it's yoga or Maker's Mark or golf or Maker's Mark or just relaxing or Maker's Mark. Do whatever it is that makes you the better version of yourself. So let's make the idea of bourbon time a reality. Join me in reclaiming 6 to 7 p.m. as the happiest hour so you can do whatever it is that makes you happy. And if it involves a glass of bourbon, remember to drink Maker's Mark responsibly. Maker's Mark Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 45% alcohol by volume, copyright 2021, Maker's Mark Distillery Incorporated, Loretto, Kentucky. All right, back with the Keo Spikes on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So obviously you had success in high school, Georgia, Mr. Georgia, player of the year. You go to Auburn, you go to the SEC championship game. Obviously you guys are very successful. The NFL is a different deal because you don't get to pick. And a lot of times, if you're a high draft pick like you were in the first round of the 98 draft, you go to a bad team. And you went to, the at that time, a team that was kind of historically bad, the yeah. Cincinnati Bengals. So how, how, how was that transition for you? It was tough. It was – we got this saying, um, you just can't have the blind leading the blind. Yeah. And – that's what it was. It was, I walked inside of a locker room and I knew it was dysfunctional. I did not know to what degree I thought maybe the NFL is like this. Maybe it's a little bit different. I spent five years there. And yeah. one of the things that I really took away was I knew immediately I had to find somebody who I thought was doing it right. And when I found out who was doing it right, I attached myself to them. And I always would talk to them. And then I would find out and hear stories of other guys on other teams say, hey, you guys got, man, for breakfast we had. And I'm like, what, they fixed you guys breakfast? And then it was like, what, y'all, you guys don't have breakfast? So, uh, yeah, it, it was bad, right? Like, it, it was it was bad, bro. Who were those guys for you in Cincinnati that you attached yourself to? Uh, Willie Anderson. Oh, he was yeah, one of absolutely. them. Corey Dillon was like – we have a good relationship. It wasn't like we talked all the time, but it was like, I like this guy. Like, Corey yeah. was a loner. He didn't take no shit from nobody. You know, him, uh, oh, God, who was it? Clyde Simmons. We picked – I didn't even realize what wow. free agency was because the first years we were not active in free agency. So right. I didn't realize the magnitude of it, right? So when we signed Clyde Simmons and he came there, he was on the back nine. But I spent a lot of days time just talking with Clyde. And it was like, man, he just imparted so much wisdom into myself, Brian Simmons, Steve Foley. We were all drafted in the same draft class. So those were a couple of guys like who I really attached myself to. Um, I loved Carl Pickens. Like he was one of my all-time favorites. I understood why Carl Pickens was bitter. He spent this yeah. entire career there, and, and he suffered. I mean, he made plays, but he suffered too at the same time. Yeah, I don't think people fully appreciate that because this, football is not a game that you can play unemotionally un, or dispassionately. If you do, you're going to get steamrolled every week. You guys, in the five years you were there, you never finished better than 6-10. and 10. And, you know, people say, oh, you're a professional. Deal with it. You're getting paid a lot of money. I mean, it still sucks. I mean, it sucks to know every year and almost every game, we probably don't have a chance. As crazy as this may sound, I never went out there and thought we didn't have a chance. And that's the power of the mind. 
And I want people, whoever, whoever hears this, I want them to really take this to heart because I used to brainwash myself, Trey. Yeah. And, and I used to believe like, okay, this is the year. Even when we went two and 14, I was like, all right, Gus Farad is going to play better this week. Achilles Smith is going to play like something is going to happen. I always had that belief because if I would not have had that belief, I don't know if you and I would be, you would want to talk to me right now. I, I would not have made my name. And that's one of the things that I appreciate you bringing up. People bring it up, but they don't really dive into it because it was hard to be able to do that day yeah. after day. And then you go into an antagonizing off season and I work out with Heinz Ward. You see Jerome Bettis. You see Ray Lewis. And you're the damn the <laughs> the, the the blunt joke. Like you're you're the yeah. mainstay of all the jokes. You know what I mean? So like it was hard, but you know, I'm proud of myself from that standpoint because I was able to fight through it, you know, continuously. Yeah. Well, you should be. And, you know, I certainly understand that, like, through September and October, when you're like that, let's say the year you went two and 14, when you're one and whatever you were, like, how, how does that work going into a December game? Like, that, that you say you do it, but I don't think it's as easy as, well, you just convince yourself to do it. So what were the tricks you used mentally to get you to that place each and every Sunday? It was triggers. I had triggers the more and more as we played throughout the season. I tell you this, the first trigger that happened was, okay, let me break versus looking at this thing as a 16 game season. Let's yeah. break it into quarters. We play four quarters. I'm gonna play four games. Four games is one quarter. Let's win the quarter. That didn't work. Okay, we could pick it up this second half of the second quarter. We can do that and maybe we can find a way to be 500. That didn't work either. So then you go to the back nine and it was like, all right. By the third quarter of the season, you realize I'm out of the playoffs. Now, I'm pissed off because I want to have an opportunity to be on TV on Sunday to where everybody gets an opportunity to see me because we're the only game that's on that's playing. And people right. really can see what I bring to the table. And, and, and so another trigger, what, what really did it for me towards the end of the year I remember in December, that's when Pro Bowl players were named. And my stats used to be better, and my impact of the game used to be just as good as some of the other players. And I'm Without talking, question. you can name anybody, but I never got the vote. It was always, oh, we'll have you as an alternate. Well, what yeah. alternate? We can't tell you that. Oh, so y'all shuffling the cards, the, the deck or something up in New York? Like, what's going on? So um, those were my triggers that really kept me going. And then you, I, I'll tell you something else, Trey. I, I don't even know if you knew this. It took me 10 years before I played on Monday Night Football. That's crazy. 10 like, years. All I can think of is the line from Gross Point Blank, that movie. 10 years! 10, Ten years! I mean, and, and the worst part for you is you leave Cincinnati and you get a chance to go somewhere else and you got a great contract but you go from them to Buffalo. And at that time, Buffalo is not the Buffalo we see over the last couple of seasons in the NFL. I mean, they were competitive, uh, but, you know, I guess the best way I would describe your Buffalo career would be that time you started the season by beating the crap out of the uh, Patriots 31 to nothing, right? That, that yep. was kind of the highlight of your entire four years in Buffalo. You know the thing about Buffalo, what 
I love the time in Buffalo. We had great teams. Yeah. Meaning defensively, we finished. I, I think one year we was maybe number one, but I know we were a top three defensive team. I remember Pittsburgh ended up being the number one defensive team in the league. We were number two. They and I looked at the snap count total. They only played throughout a 16 game season 780 snaps. And we played 1,100 snaps as a defense and still ranked number two in the league. So we had great defenses. And what what made the Buffalo run bad? Because we really, I felt like we really should have won a championship, especially that year when Mike Malarkey came and we went on a run. But uh, bad management. And they broke the team up, sent Drew Bledsoe to Dallas, brought in J.P. Lossman. And I think we all know how that ended up after that. Not great, as uh, as a lot of Bills fans would say. By the way, Drew Bledsoe, we, we had him on an earlier episode. He loved his time with Buffalo just because he said it felt more like a collegiate atmosphere than most NFL uh, cities and, and teams do. Did you feel that way as well? Yeah, I did. The guys were very close. Like, yeah. Trey, we were very, very close with each other. I remember when I signed and – Drew and the offensive lineman, uh, we all got together and we 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 went out to dinner. You know what I mean? And um, you know, those were the little things that when you talk about the Buffalo of the old days, Daryl Taylor, you talk about Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Biscuit. These Biscuit. are some of the things Biscuit. that they did yeah. back then, and the and the tradition still was going. And it's not by accident. You see these guys winning up there now. They're a very close football team because it's not much to do in Buffalo, so it kind of forced you to interact with each other, and that's how you build that chemistry and that bond to be able to tell the truth to each other without you not seeing it as constructive criticism. Yeah. I do want to ask you about that first game of 2003 because that was one of the weirdest games of all time. For people that don't know, the Patriots that offseason, right before either training camp or the start of the season, cut Lawyer Malloy. Uh, yep. who was an amazing we'll safety him. for them. Yeah, so we'll he goes to Buffalo, and, and, you know, then you get him, and the first game of the year is the Patriots up in Buffalo, and you guys took it to him 31 to nothing. And I, I used to say this to Teddy Bruschi all the time when we worked together on NFL Live. The the look in his face when and the post-game comments after that loss, I don't think I've ever seen – like, Teddy has crazy eyes, okay? Like, there are players, you know, there are players that have crazy – you're one of them. Ted, Teddy had the crazy eyes. And he was so angry, and there were so many of the Patriots that were angry at Bill Belichick for not only letting Lawyer go, but allowing him to be picked up in Buffalo and then to be humiliated like that week one. Like, a lot of us wondered, is is Belichick going to survive this? Now, obviously he did, and the symmetry is the final week of the year that year. They beat you guys 31 to nothing. But that game, like, that that was like the Patriots on the brink for me. Yeah, it, it was uh... – you talk about sweet, bitter, but in their case, bittersweet. Yeah. I mean, it was all of that. We had lawyer. They cut lawyer. I want to say did him wrong, too. Cut him like on a Monday. We picked him up like on a Wednesday. He spent, no lie, at least 12 to 15 hours with the coach, different coaches. And after he learned the playbook, he came out and he played a great game. I want to say he had a yeah. PBU that turned into an interception. A sack on Tom Brady. I mean, I one of the best games that I ever played in, and I the atmosphere was electric. 
Yeah, it, it really was. So, you know, after that, you go to the Eagles for a while, then San Francisco, and, and you finished up with the Chargers in San Diego. Um, was I, I just had a curious, what was your favorite spot? What was your favorite place that you played, and, and for what reason? Uh, favorite place to play? Buffalo, hands down. The yeah. reason why, it really felt like Friday night football. It felt like if you're in Texas or if you're from Texas, it felt like that. If you're from Georgia, it felt like that, like Florida. Like it, that's what it felt like, the interaction between the fans. I think the other part of it is uh, another place that I really enjoyed playing was San Francisco because you got yeah. the best of both worlds. I think that was the best city that I played with, and I was tight with all of the guys in San Fran as well too. But I think a lot of that has to do with the previous culture, the history of the guys being able to have success in the in the eighties, nineties, and um, and that kind of carried on throughout in the locker room, even when I was there. Well, you know, you had the great combination with you and Patrick Willis uh, as linebackers up in San Francisco. I think they called you Bam Bam and TKO. wasn't that, Wasn't that the nickname yeah. for the two of you guys? Yep. Yeah, it was. You know, you, you said, you know, you wanted to be that thing. You took you 10 years to get on Monday Night Football, and you wanted to to have that situation where people would recognize the things you do for the game. But I think it speaks to that when you look at a couple of things in your career. You're one of only seven linebackers to have more than 200 career starts in the NFL. But I think the, always the thing that jumps out with me, Takio, is that you played 15 seasons, and in 13 of those seasons, you were named a team captain. What does that mean to you? It means more to me now that I'm out of the game compared to when I was in it because when I was going through it, I didn't notice it until somebody brought it to my attention. It means a lot because, as you said earlier, I played on five teams. That means even when I got to San Francisco, when I got to San Diego, having played a snap in the guy's and I'm not a locker room lawyer, so I didn't go around politicking. Yeah. But they, they said, no, nah, we want you to be the captain. We like everything that you display, the way that you lead. I'm like, all right, let's go. I'm going to do my best. So for me, it, 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 it speaks volumes because I think I, I'm not going to say leadership is born, but I think you can develop some leadership traits. I think I was born with some leadership traits. And the other part of it was, I wouldn't dare ask anybody to do something that I was not willing to do. But I also knew I I held the bar here. Like my my standard of excellence was so high. And I think when you talk about named captain 13 out of 15 seasons, like that goes to show you the standard of excellence that I I woke up and chased every morning when I got out of bed. You know, players know and coaches know. And, you know, the saying is real recognizes real. So obviously – you came in, A, your reputation preceded you, and B, you lived up to or exceeded that rep- reputation on every team you were in or on. Right, let, let, let's do this here for a second. Let's, uh, like I said, you played for a bunch of teams and, and you played against a bunch of really good players. Who was the best quarterback you played with? I would probably say Drew Blesso, um, Philip Rivers. Those, those, they were my two. Yeah. Um, we had a great run. Drew and I, we didn't play long enough with each other. I wish we could have, yeah. but bad management in Buffalo kind of got Drew up out of there. But uh, with Phillip, 
I loved his leadership. I love his charisma. I love the way he talked dirty to defensive players. He used to do it to me <laughs> in practice. And I used to be like, all right, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it was like it, it, it was in, it made practice more intentional. Like, all right, training camp, we going up against the ones, like we got it. I'm going I'm to pick you off today. You know, yeah. so um, that's what I loved about both of those quarterbacks. Who was the toughest quarterback you played against? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I mean, I mean we, you were the a golden guys, age. I, I was, I, listen, I played against some great quarterbacks. Ultimately, if you played against Tom Brady and he's still playing now, yeah. you can say he was the greatest, right? Yeah, but let absolutely. me give you a few other names that you felt the aura of when we were last drive of the game, we're up, and the only thing we have to do is stop them from scoring a touchdown or keep them from getting a field goal position. Brett Favre, he was one. You could feel it. You could feel mm. like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> um, another guy who was who just had that canny ability to be able to gather guys and make plays was John Elway. Like, man, he was so good at what he did. And he effortless, too. Like, effortless the way that he did it. You're a handful, all right? So who was a lineman that gave you more trouble than you thought they should have? You That that just every time you came in on a blitz or or wherever you were supposed to be, this guy was – he was a tough one for you to figure out. Well, I, to be honest with you, I never figured this guy out. And I used to, I used to destroy centers yeah. in college. But when I played against Damani Dawson, oh, Hall, of Famer. Hall of Famer, I felt like somebody put the damn meat cleavers on me. <laughs> I, I, I remember going up against, uh, oh man, who else? Uh, Bruce Matthews. Me and him got into a, we got into a big fight one game. Actually, really? it was in Sports Illustrated. Somebody caught the pitcher in Sports Illustrated. Big fight. I used to hate Tennessee Titans. The entire offensive line. Uh, but but those guys, Leon Searcy was one of the hardest. Man, those he are had names. the hardest head that I ever went up against. And I never backed down from contact because I wanted no. all of it. I yeah. embraced all of it. But damn, he was tough, man. He was tough. All right, so, so let's take it one step further then. Uh, like, what was your best? And I, by best, I mean, like, like you said, you, you love the contact. There's no question about it. You played physical downhill football. So was there one memorable hit for you? Like the running back's coming in. He's coming into the hole. It's your job to plug it. And you guys just – was there one that you enjoyed more than any other in your career? Probably the best one, I would say, it was in Buffalo. and. Well, it came on that the, the game when we played the Patriots. Yeah, they got into this formation, and we had a great coaching staff, and we knew exactly what was coming. And so, if you have a blitz call, I knew I could not get picked. You have to see if we had if we had video, but I knew Troy Brown was coming across the middle, and I baited as if I was blitzing, and I came back. I didn't even care about picking the ball off. I separated Troy from the ball. The ball went one way and Troy went the other. And I mean, it set the tempo for that 31 to nothing whooping that we put on the Patriots. That was probably one of the biggest highlights that I had. I came back around and had two interceptions after that. Another hit, too, was when we played Jacksonville. 
and um, the big wide receiver. I can't remember his name. Keenan McCardell, Jimmy Smith. Not, not, not. It was, it was right after them. Um, uh, I can't remember. It'll come back to me. Okay. But I remember he caught a ball across the middle. He actually held on to the ball, but I hit him so hard that his helmet shot off and went 15 yards away, and people thought his head was still in the helmet. And I, <laughs> very few times you can, like, as a player, like, you hear the crowd say, ooh, like you don't hear it. Yeah. This time I heard it, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I gave him the business. Oh, so could you play today? The way the the way the game is legislated for defensive players, I mean, like I feel for them. Look, I understand what the NFL is doing, and I get it because it the product is as hot as it's ever been, and you want to, you know, business is business. But man, I feel for those NFL defenders out there because sometimes they get flagged for playing something called football. Yeah, then uh, it's tough. I saw a few calls the other day, and um, I yeah. still I don't know if I still could play. I think from the ability of not grinding you out because I came up in the old school training camp era to where yeah. you, you're going to play in all of the games, but um, it's hard to play up under these circumstances. It's almost as if you walk in, let's take for an example, when you used to be with ESPN and you've been doing all of your broadcasts in English and they walk in and tell you, okay, Trey, we need for you to do, 75 to 80 percent of the broadcast in Spanish. Sure. Why not? Like, come Claro on. que si. Like, Bienvenidos a todos. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, that's all. So that may be 5 percent at best. So you're not going to make the cut. <laughs> yeah. That would that would not that would not have gone well for me. So I can completely understand the analogy. Before we uh, move on to what you're doing now, you have a record that I think nobody wants. But I I, I, I honestly kind of think you should be proud of it. Um, you have played more games in the history of the NFL, 219, than anyone who never made it to the postseason. Now, obviously, you wanted to get to the postseason. But I think it speaks to who you were and who teams believed you were that you played that long on lousy teams, not lousy teams, on teams that didn't make it and still yeah. were able to play that long. What does that record mean to you? It means a lot. Um I can tell you it, I have a lot of emotions that come behind it. One is I don't like it um, just because that's the reason why you played the game, to have an opportunity to become that household name. Now, on the flip side, what makes it even more embracing is I still became a household name and never played in one playoff game. True. So it goes to show you the level of grit and determination and the playmaking ability that I had. And I'll tell you this, you ain't hanging around for 15 years just because people think you're a good guy. Nope. Like, like it just ain't going to happen. Like, it, it won't. And so I think it's a testament to everything what we started this conversation off with. You know, what was instilled inside of me from my mom, my dad, um, me just having faith, believing that it's going to change. Okay, if it doesn't change from week to week, maybe I can look at it in quarter to quarter. And so I've read plenty of books, man. Um, but the, the, the emotions that come with it, definitely, uh, is it something that I'm proud of? Knowing yes, uh, the reason why I say that is because 
One, I'm not proud of it because I didn't get an opportunity to play on the biggest stage. Right. Right. I told you it took me 10 years to play on Monday night football. Um, why I am proud of it. And this is what I want people really to hear, especially Hall of Fame voters, is if it was anybody else, they would have folded up their tent, Trey. Trey. Yeah. Yeah. They would have packed it in. They would have gave an excuse while we had bad management. Despite it all, I still accomplished what I set out to accomplish, even in a political battle. So that's the part that I'm proud of. Any other dude, they would have been strawback. They would have broke. They would have tucked it in. I'll make sure David Baker, who is a friend of mine as the president uh, of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I'll make sure he gets that message. That much I can promise you, my friend. Why don't we take a little break and we'll come back and talk about what you're doing now because the stuff you're doing now post-career is really interesting. Back with Takeo Spikes right after this. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Bourbon Time and Jim Beam. You know, with the loss of our commutes during the pandemic, we've all lost that natural break from the workday to the evening. I've definitely felt that it's been tougher this year than ever to remember to take some time to transition myself from work to relaxation. So my friends at Jim Beam want to help solve this so we can get our me time back. Beat the burnout and commit to taking the hour of 6 to 7 p.m. as your me time, where you turn the phone on Do Not Disturb and do something that you love with no strings attached. Even though we like to enjoy our me time with a glass of Maker's Mark, you don't have to enjoy bourbon in order to participate in the movement. Do whatever is restorative for you, whether it's yoga or Maker's Mark, or golf or Maker's Mark, or just relaxing or Maker's Mark. Do whatever it is that makes you the better version of yourself. So let's make the idea of bourbon time a reality. Join me in reclaiming 6 to 7 p.m. as the happiest hour so you can do whatever it is that makes you happy. And if it involves a glass of bourbon, remember to drink Maker's Mark responsibly. Maker's Mark Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 45% alcohol by volume, copyright 2021, Maker's Mark Distillery Incorporated, Loretto, Kentucky. All right, back on this Bourbon Time edition of Half Forgotten History with the Keo Spikes. Now, uh, I see you a lot these days. You did some broadcast stuff with us when we were at NFL Live. You'd come in all the time and you did a bunch of things with us. Is that sort of what got you to where you are? Because you have your own thing going now. You do your own podcast. How did you want to get into wanting to be a part of this? Uh, it started back when I was in Cincinnati. And I never thought about being in media. But I had a radio show. And it was at my second year. So I was like, okay, we're going to have a better year compared to last year. So chances are I'm thinking that we're going to win. So how did I get into media? I went and did a radio show. I signed up to do it, and we lost the game. And it was a reoccurring show every Monday night. And so what I ended up doing, I dreaded going in there to talk about what happened. Like, you saw what happened. I felt like fans were going to be mad at me. I got on the microphone. We started talking about the process of the game, what we need to do better, yada, yada, yada. And when I got back in the car, riding back home, it dawned upon me that all of the weight, the burden was lifted off, off of my shoulders. And that's when I knew, man, this media thing is therapeutic for me. Like, even uh-huh. though we lost the game, at least I felt like I got it off my chest. And so that's what really brought me into it, because I just really, I enjoyed talking about what we went through. And so that's how the media thing jumped off. 
Tequila, I find that fascinating because I think a lot of people would be like, that's the last thing I want to do, you know, and they take it the other way. I, I, I find it so refreshing that you felt like just getting it out there and talking about it made it better for you because most people are terrified that if I do that, it'll be worse. Yeah, and listen, I, that's what I thought. But it took me about six trips to realize, like, this is why. Like, this is why you're able to continue to go and go and let it go. You don't you don't take that foundational, the bad foundation that you just had and then you bring it into another week trying to build something that's going to be sustainable like it's not possible. So for me, that's what really got me into the media world. And and when did you think, okay, I I can do this as a player? When did you say I want to do it uh, as something post career just to keep myself going? When I got to San Francisco. Um, it go, you know, we, we talked about what's one of the best places I played in San Fran and, and, um, I love the city, but that's when I really got my first show. And I, I'll tell you this, if we had, if we would have had social media back then, I would have been killing it because I had my <laughs> own show and it was called, uh, TKO TV. Nice. And so I took a video camera around me in meeting rooms. Like, I had so much love. I took it everywhere, and I gave people an opportunity in the city of San Francisco to see behind the scenes. What do we do when we get a 20-minute break? Guys go in to play video games sometimes. You see guys ribbing on each other, talking about each other. You know, and so I captured all of that there, and um, that's what really brought me to that media frenzy to where I got favor here, and I was pretty good at it. And so that's when I knew I'm, I want to continue to do this. And after I retire one day, then th- this will give me the opportunity to get extra reps. You were hard knocks before hard knocks. Yeah, I, I was, man. I was ahead of my time, you know? Yeah. Shit, always too have, bad always, social media wasn't out. <laughs> always have been. So tell me about the pod. What, what's the name of the podcast so people can find it? And what are you guys trying to do with the podcast? Well, as you see it right here, it's all up behind me, behind the mask podcast. Well, we don't have the hat on today, but I am amazing. So let me go into detail about what the podcast is all about. It's myself, Tutan Reyes, another NFL legend. He's my co-host, man. And we just talk about our lives on and off the playing field. We bring in guests from the world of entertainment, and it comes from so people, celebrities on TV, it comes from a lot of NFL players, WNBA players. And we talk about in-game analysis week to week, especially now since the season is upon us. Um, we also talk about like, you know, we talk, I talked about TKO TV, Trey. And so what I did with the podcast was really, I, I created something to where people, when they listen to it, it's a way to make you feel like you're inside of the locker room. So we talk about fatherhood. We talk about relationships, business ventures, social issues. And I think the best thing that people really love to hear is the untold stories that Absolutely. we share amongst each other in the locker room, things that we actually go through. And, and, and you know, mental health is upon us right now. And I would like to think by us having these conversations and some of the listeners out there listening, it would just provide and give you a different type of perspective. Some of the past guests we had on the show, uh, Grady Smith from the Atlanta Falcons, um, two-time Olympian, Asia Evans. 
I think about gold medal winner in the Olympics this past year, three-on-three, Alicia Gray, Clinton Porters, Trent Brown, uh, Calvin Johnson, Champ Beatty, I talked about him, London Fletcher. Uh, we just had Drew Bledsoe on with this last episode. So uh, we we share a lot of untold stories that we promise to be entertaining. We are very authentic and more than anything, captivating. Well, I, I can't agree with you anymore. I mean, that's why we do this one for the very same reason. So I've always found you captivating. I've always found you entertaining. But most importantly, I've always found you to be a pro's pro. Like you, you woke up that definition and you will see a picture of Takeo Spikes. Uh, Behind the Mass podcast, check it out. Uh, it is well worth your time. Takeo, always good to share some time with you, man. Uh, I appreciate you, and I wish I wish everyone had your outlook on life and, and had that that way to find a way, because sometimes that's what you need more than anything else, and I hope someone listening to this podcast will get that message from you. I appreciate you, man. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me, and uh, people can find the podcast on all social media channels. Uh, YouTube is good because you get the visual aid. So I appreciate the support, Trey. Really do, man. Thank you. You got it, brother. Be well. So with that, we put a cap on season four of Half Forgotten History. Again, thanks to all the people that have subscribed on the YouTube channel and everywhere else where you get your podcasts. It's been our pleasure to keep doing this for you. We're going to take a short break. But when we come back in a couple of weeks, we've got some amazing guests lined up for season five, including some Hall of Famers, and some names that you know very well, but you don't know their stories, which is, of course, why we do this. So thanks for watching seasons one through four of Half Forgotten History. We're taking a quick break. Season five will be up before you know it.